Climate action plans, healthy workplaces, environmental governance, footprints and ecosystems, benchmarks and KPIs, the hows and whys of change, of being green, birdo, and buying credit because regulators tell you that credit is due. I'm your host, Jackie Fala, and this is FM Forward. Welcome to season four, track two, which is all about making you successful in the face of significant change. Get ready to dump the dirty and clean up your act. In the prosaic words of Kermit the Frog, it's not easy being green, but we're here to help. Thank you to our partners who are helping to underwrite this new series. The Office. What future does it have in today's working world? A world that is more flexible? A world that can work anywhere? Hi, I'm Suki Riley, Regional Director at MovePlan, a leading specialist in move and change management. We partner with businesses around the world, helping them cope with the challenges associated with change. Whether they want to relocate, reimagine their current workspace, or indeed reevaluate their workplace culture. At MovePlan, we combine the technical elements of a move with support on workplace change and the work environment to provide bespoke and actionable solutions that meet your business needs. So whether you're looking to return to the office, stay remote, or be somewhere in between, MovePlan can help you make sense of the working world today. To find out how we can help you, just search MovePlan. America is the leading national commercial roofing company in the U.S. with over 90 locations nationwide and five New England offices. They have an exclusive high-performance tool designed to manage your roofing portfolio, the Tecta Tracker. This tool is the total roof asset management system designed to meet the needs of today's sophisticated facilities managers. This software makes it easy for you to plan, budget, manage, and optimize your roofing portfolio. Field data is transformed into insights and information you can use to help you make better business decisions. And do you know the score on your roof? To help you plan, Tecta America scores your roof with roof assessor points. This proprietary indexing tool incorporates 10 key performance criteria, including membrane and seam condition, flashing condition, age, and pending repairs to arrive at an estimated remaining service life. To learn more, email Anthony Mora at amora at tectaamerica.com or check out today's show notes. Welcome to our third episode in our series on climate action. I'm really excited today to have with me John Powers of Extensible Energy, who is an entrepreneurial energy guru. I hope that title that I provided for you, John, is okay. And Elizabeth Larson of Ballot Consulting Engineers, who is their first ever sustainability engineer. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. I'm super excited to dig a little deeper into this topic with both of you today. You have nice synergies between what you do, but also do things that are um, 
entirely different from one another. So uh, we'll explore that a little bit. Um, I want to start with you, Elizabeth. You know, why now? What's happening in the world uh, that demands a very particular fo focus on sustainability um, when honestly we've been talking about it for, you know, decades and decades with varying kind of ups and downs in terms of um, organizational uh, commitment to it? I think there's a few things happening. Uh, one is uh, sustainability and climate change is becoming a lot more personal. Uh, we are experiencing climate change for uh, what we realize or what we believe, I think, is for the first time with some of the wildfires and flooding that were that are happening all across the country. Um, and I think sustainability is also really growing in meaning. It is no longer just energy efficiency and renewable power. We are more focused on the concept of carbon. Um, we're more, more focused on the people aspect of sustainability as well, that social equity component. And I think that really means that we need dedicated people who are um, ready to take on this challenge. Um, obviously, I like to say that every engineer at our firm is a sustainability engineer, even if it's not in their title. Um, but I really see, you know, with the meaning of sustainability and the importance of sustainability really growing, that it requires some really dedicated, focused attention. I, I think that that's both a fantastic answer and pretty interesting because sustainability does have a lot to do with things like comfort. And we're going to unpack that a little bit later. And comfort has so much to do with performance um, and health and well-being. So there's kind of an interesting thread um, that you can pull from sustainability when it relates um, to the people component. Um, mm. So as I said, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, so because this is the third episode in a series on climate action, we have discussed a little bit in the past um, Birdo, which uh, to John doesn't mean anything because it's a city of Boston, city of Cambridge, Massachusetts um, regulatory requirement that's sprung up. But as it relates to the foundational principles of um, reduction in emissions and energy use, it does make sense. John's well, well versed in how all of these varied programs and terms are interrelated. Um, and we want to kind of clean that up a little bit for people um, in terms of understanding. Will you just tick through on a high level what the category one, category two, and category three components of emissions are as they relate to Birdo? Just to, as a reminder for our local um, listeners. Yeah, I certainly can speak to our scope one, two, and three categories and Birdo as well. Um, scope one, two, and three uh, categories or scopes of carbon emissions come from the greenhouse gas protocol, which is a consistent 
um, framework for carbon reporting. Um, this framework does really uh, kind of lend itself more towards the corporate carbon reporting aspect. Um, and Birdo fits right in with that. So scope one uh, in this greenhouse gas protocol covers all direct on-site emissions. And this comes in kind of a three main category uh, set. So we've got stationary emissions, which include on-site combustion, your natural gas usage, if you, you know, burn fuel oil or propane. Um, there's also mobile emissions coming from uh, fleet vehicles. And then there's fugitive emissions, which come from refrigerants and other um, fire suppression systems and different chemicals that are used on site. Our scope two covers our indirect uh, off-site energy use, and that generally comes in the form of electricity or steam consumption. And so that's an easier category to look at because we can get that information from our utility bills. And then scope three is our broadest category and really spans the whole uh, indirect um, emissions coming from our value chain. So that is upstream activities from your company, from your operations, as well as downstream activities. And categories within this uh, group include, but are not limited to, employee commuting and business travel, um, materials coming into your site if you make products, the manufacturing, and then the end of life of those products. Um, it also includes waste and what you're doing with the, you know, if you're a more of service organization, what you're doing with your paper when you throw it away and that kind of stuff. So it's all the other uh, aspects of your value chain, which you influence. Um, Birdo comes in and is really centralized to uh, kind of those scope one and two uh, categories. It's focused on the operational emissions of our buildings um, year to year and the natural gas usage and the electricity or steam usage in our buildings is what we're going to have to track for Birdo. Um, and when we're doing those emissions calculations, they certainly can play into and be a part of your broader greenhouse gas protocol accounting, which you may have to do with your um, full corporate organization. Okay, that was a wonderful overview. Thank you very much for doing that. I just think it helps us have a little context um, if you're um, pedaling your bike on your way into work um, to be reminded of it. You don't have immediate access to the computer and um, the protocols that are listed out you know, under Birdo. And they are extensive, so great overview. Um, so I sometimes get confused about the difference between greenhouse gas emissions and carbon emissions. Um, and so can you help me not be confused about it? And then I wanna dive in, John, to the specific ways. It, I feel like maybe that category two of Birdo is where your current company, entrepreneurial, excuse me, extensible energy um, has put a laser focus to. Am I right about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So extensible energy makes sort of 
we're, we're more of a, a software vendor for the built environment world, not, not so much an engineering company. And we track a lot of the usage in buildings, electricity usage, gas usage in particular, and both of those point directly to scope two. So the lightweight building energy control solution that we provide is both a way to track, but also to control your scope two emissions, because it matters not only how much electricity you use, but also what time you use it. So it's true that you can get some information directly off a utility bill, but it's also true that increasingly, as more renewables have been added to the grid, there's a vast difference between different hours of the day as to how carbon intensive electricity usage is. So you wanna be able to both track hour by hour, minute by minute, how much carbon your um, electricity usage means, and then also control it so that you're using energy in the cleaner times, which turn out in most places to also be the cheaper times of day. So you can save money and carbon as long as you have good automation of your flexible electricity loads in the building. Okay, so if I'm a facilities management professional, which I'm not, the pinball machine lights are pinging off in my head. I'm gonna get yeah. to save money. I'm gonna use less energy. Um, but there were also lots of other terms that you used in there, um, John, that I want to try to decouple from the, the overall discussion because while I am interested in Birdo, I'm more interested in doing the right thing in terms of climate action um, trying to find ways that efficiently and economically allow me to reduce my emissions and be in compliance, even if that compliance might not come, you know, or re regulatory demands might not catch up with me for another 10 years. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of clean energy timeframes. What does this mean? You know, why would anybody go after a dirty energy time? I don't know what that means. Like, break that down for me. I'm, I'm sorry to be so ignorant about it, but this is sure. a chance for us all to learn together. Sure. So, I mean, I'm, I'm an energy nerd my whole career, so I know a lot about how the grid works. And it's not the sort of thing that most facilities managers spend a lot of time thinking about. But as we've added more wind and solar to the grid, there are some times of day when using electricity does not produce much scope to carbon emission. Whereas other times of day when the coal plants and the gas plants are running, the same amount of electricity use can be much more uh, carbon intensive. So being able to automate the shifting of flexible loads, think stationary battery, uh, car chargers behind the meter, especially heating and cooling. Nobody cares when the compressors run, they only care that it's comfortable inside, but that can be a lot of energy shifted from minute to minute and hour to hour. Oh, that you can, can just decide when you're gonna run those, not when the need is? So the, the 
trick, of course, is to be able to forecast what the need is, anticipate it, and send signals into the building that say, well, this might be a time to pre-cool by a couple of degrees or preheat by a couple of degrees because things are cleaner and less expensive now than they will be in a couple of hours. Nobody notices any of this. You keep the fans running. It's still comfortable inside. But if you can keep the temperature within a, a band of even a couple or three degrees, the, um, the amount of energy we're talking about is quite large. So you can shift usage from minute to minute and hour to hour that not only saves on carbon, but it also helps you avoid some of the nasty tricks that utilities pull on, on commercial buildings, which is demand charges and time of use charges. You can reduce the um, electricity bill at the same time you're saving carbon. We actually like to talk about four Cs, really. It's, it's comfort and control, cost and carbon. And those all go together. You can't just say, we're going to save carbon by making everybody uncomfortable. You can't just say, we're going to do this without more sophisticated software controls. All of this stuff fits together. And so we, we try and, um, and show our, our clients how those things work together. So that's, that's very interesting. Elizabeth, this must be making sense to you. I mean, you obviously understand um, the comfort implications. Uh, what, what are you doing in terms of making recommendations around systems um, that are going to help with efficiency and reduction in emissions? So one of the biggest things that John has hit on when talking about emissions and uh, energy efficiency is that data collection. Um, every building is unique and something that is the, you know, when I talk to our commissioning engineers, the best thing for them to, for facilities managers to do is to really get to know their building on a deeper level. Um, you can understand the basic systems, but if you're not understanding how they run at different times of the day, at different times in the year, you don't have that really deep knowledge of how you're using your energy and how you can be using it efficiently. So collecting data and understanding your building systems is really critical. And even having and installing uh, more meters to be able to understand different systems, different equipment better, is going to be really important in addition to having trend data so that you can start to identify uh, patterns and um, can track that along uh, over time. So um, are you connecting meters to your to the HVAC systems that, that you're um, recommending be installed within the facilities. So now one thing is talking to the other and you can kind of tweak and, and regulate it so that its performance is shifted as John was discussing. We definitely recommend uh, net metering to understand your energy use better and your energy profile and where that energy is being used within your building. If you just look at your utility bill, you have one single number for your entire building and you 
uh, can take guesses as to where that energy may be going, but uh, being able to net meter and have uh, more meters in more places, you can start to identify where most of your energy is going and then tackle those uh, largest pieces first. Um, John's inextensible energy fits in perfectly with that and within building controls, and that helps monitor and uh, make sure that our systems are running efficiently. Um, but having that data and having the, the information is going to be the most critical. The old adage that you can't manage what you don't measure really applies here. Um, and having that data is going to be critical before you can start that. So, of course, I think that that's, it might be an old adage, but it's a good one. Right. And, right. Um, so when you say help you understand where the energy is going, um, do you mean like out the window because your windows aren't good or is it? going to a certain time of day or where is it going? Where is this energy running off to? We're trying to contain it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, you know, you have energy going to uh, lighting. You have it going to your HVAC systems. Um, you've got different comparisons for heating and cooling at different times of the year. And that's where some of this trend data comes in, where you can start seeing at different times of the day how much energy you're using. Um, and over the course of a year, you can also see how much energy you're using. Um, and something that's really important too, is to really look at your occupancy schedules and compare your energy usage when you're, you know, when you have your building running full capacity, are you also, do you also have the same amount of people in the office? Uh, all too often we see buildings who just run all, you know, every six days a week, seven days a week when, um, really you know, with COVID, a lot of these occupancy schedules have changed and we work differently now. And um, we need to definitely make sure that those, uh, the users and the occupants align with the way that we're running our systems. So it sounds like the energy is running away uh, with a one size fits all uh, solution that isn't a one size fits all solution. And so that's where, John, your technology and extensible comes into play because you're helping folks tweak that programming to really understand hey we are, we're only we've only got occupancy in the building on three days a week or five days uh five days but those days are spread out and two of the days um in the middle are you know, don't need heating or cooling at all. They can just be baseline, right? Um, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into how that technology works. And I also want um, the FMs that are listening to understand how easy it is to integrate into a facility that's already there. It's not a new building. It's won't work with only a single control system. Give, right, yeah, give me a we, little overview. Sure. Yeah, we, we wanted to make sure that the implementation of our solution, we're mostly software folks, right? We, we, we like being able to control things 
from our desks. Um, so the hardware installation takes a day, basically, as, as Elizabeth was saying, there's some additional metering required so that you can really have fine-grained measurement of what the usage patterns in the building are. And there's some uh, integration with the existing building management system. It's a little gateway that goes into the building, little industrial PC that talks all the different protocols to the building management system if there is one, or to smart wireless communicating thermostats if there's not. So in either of those situations, it's a very quick one day installation because otherwise, you know, you're talking about capital projects and things that just drag on forever. I wanna go back to something that Elizabeth said, which is the um, uselessness of utility bills. So uh, I have a confession to make, which is that my first job out of college was in the rates department of an electric utility. So I actually know how rates are made. And I know how bills are produced and the uh, ability to control a building could not be further removed from just looking at a paper bill that arrives 30 days after you used your energy. You need some kind of solution that will watch for you because you don't wanna be doing this, you have a job. Um, you need a, a cloud-based artificial intelligence to watch your building for you as all this data comes in and make the thousands of decisions every day to tweak, as you put it, Jackie, tweak the usage patterns zone by zone based on occupancy, temperature preferences, energy usage, all of the above, carbon intensity, all of the above. So um, as long as you can automate those decisions and not, you know, there's no facility manager I know who wants to jump into the cockpit of their energy management system and fly it all day. They want to know that they can set it and if not forget it, which is to say set it and rely on it and override it when they need to, then you've got something that's adding value instead of subtracting. We're familiar with systems that just send alarms, which are the bane of most facility managers' existence. They don't need their phone beeping at them more often. They need they, they need something that can not only do the monitoring, but also the control. So we send control signals into the building to say it can be a little warmer here, a little cooler there over the course of the day to shift that energy around. Or it's a good time to discharge that battery, or it's a good time to pause the charging of the cars out back. Any of these flexible loads can be controlled to save carbon and money, um, you know, as long as you've got software that will watch it for you. Yeah, I think that that's incredibly helpful. Um, I love that it's a one day setup and I love that it's a software that isn't going to be a capital cost. Um, those things sound to me like it will be an easier approvals process. Let's chat a little bit, John, about um, peak demand sure. and solving for what I like to call price gouging yeah. during peak demand times and how, right. how you manage that. Right. So we've, we've all, well, some of us have gotten speeding tickets in our lives, right? So basically, you spend a little bit of money driving your car, but then the one mistake you make on your entire trip costs you more than all the gas you spent. So that's that's like a demand charge. You and I pay for kilowatt hours at home, right? And that's all. 
But commercial buildings pay not only for kilowatt hours, but for the highest 15 minutes of usage of the entire month. That's Yeah, that's a demand charge. And it's like saying up to half your bill is based on the worst mistake your building made all month long. And just by chance, too many things turn on at the same time, you get socked with a huge uh, demand charge on your bill, which you don't see until 30 days later. And then the person who's paying the bill isn't the person who's controlling the energy in the building. So somebody is mad at the utility and then they pay the check and somebody else doesn't know what to do about it. So again, it's important to you know sort of close that loop and have uh, software that's able to understand the tariff structure that you're on and control the building accordingly. So that, for example, not everything turns on at once, or if it does turn on at once, it's when you're producing some of your own power, either through uh, discharging a battery or running solar on your roof. All of these things interplay in ways that can save you a ton of money just by making a shift to when, not even how much, but when you're using electricity. So am I right to say, John, that it doesn't matter whether or not I'm a tenant in a building, and have, say, six floors out of a 50-floor building, I could still implement this technology and have some modicum of control over my own uh, utility destiny. That's a a really important point, because a lot of capital improvements have to be made by the building owner. But really, this is designed for anyone who, who has to pay the electricity bill. That could be the owner, that could be the tenant, that could be you know, a facilities management group, any of that. So whoever is in charge of paying the electricity bill can implement this software and, and save money, even if it's a short-term, relatively short-term lease, because it basically pays for itself within a year. Um, because the the waste in most buildings is greater than most people realize, and the the what did you call it price gouging that uh, Jackie alluded to can be can be cut significantly just by making better decisions about when and how much electricity to use. And can I carry it with me? I decide that I'm moving out of that building because it's a leaky building, which Elizabeth is going to explain to us what that means. And, um, but I, I like that I have more control over my utility bill. Can I take it with me? For sure, the um, software contract can be carried with you. We would have to still install the additional metering equipment and possibly thermostats in a, in a new building um, because that, that won't follow you around. That, that, you know, would not be economic to tear out of a building and move. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I understand. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, um, lots of existing buildings, frankly, lots of brand new buildings still aren't as, quote unquote, energy efficient as they might be. Um, let's talk about why they leak and in what ways you're working with um, building owners to eradicate some of the biggest offenders in terms of uh, lack of efficiency? Yeah, so efficiency doesn't start uh, 
with our MEP systems, it definitely starts with our envelope and the skin of a building. Um, that's why it's critical as engineers that we work with our architects as well and our envelope consultants to design a tight um, building envelopes so that we don't have, as you said before, energy literally just going out the window or the cracks in the window. Um, so that is really the kind of first step or the first stage in um, coming up with energy reduction strategies is making sure that you have a tight building envelope and um, really getting that down solid. And once you have that, um, it's way easier to ventilate um, and uh, control the temperature in a space if you have a tight building envelope. So sometimes we can, in new construction, downsize design um, because we have a tighter envelope. And in um, existing buildings, you certainly don't have to run uh, your equipment as much uh, if you have that tighter envelope as well. So that's really where it starts. And then the second component is then having those uh, very energy efficient systems and uh, running them in an efficient manner. And I think that's something that we see a lot is that we can design an energy efficient system. Um, and then day two, as they call it, you start running it a certain way because it was either set up that way or not. Um, and we don't have as efficient of a system anymore. So the way that you operate and maintain your um, HVAC systems in your building is uh, incredibly critical to its continued success. Um, just having an energy efficient, you know, equipment, piece of equipment or um, system design doesn't mean that it will run that way unless we put in the effort to operate and maintain it that way as well. It isn't enough. And that makes me think that it's critically important that facilities management professionals are at the table with the architectural designers, the um, consultants, mm -hmm. and the construction management professionals so that they can understand the full life cycle from design through operations. Mm -hmm. um, because no single component is going to make this a success they have to work in an integrated fashion together. 100%. And that's why we love bringing in facilities managers to talk about how, you know, what does your maintenance team look like? What does that look like for you? If we're renovating a system, what are you used to? What can we incorporate that will make it easier? Um, how, what systems can we choose that are easier to maintain than, than not? Um, and something that I think is also really important is making sure that you're commissioning your building um, if it's new construction and getting follow up retro commissioning services done because buildings can kind of get out of whack, as the, you know, some would say. And, you know, the minute you try to override your building system, it can go a little bit one way and then you override the other way to correct and soon enough. Um, the building's not running as optimally as it can. And We've so that, got out of control inflation, it sounds like. 
Right. So that's why having retro commissioning services is also really critical to kind of get you back to that baseline and really help you uh, get your building controls back in order, as well as uh, identifying other areas where you can um, find efficiencies. And, you know, our retro commissioning team is great for finding low and no cost uh you know, efficiencies within our buildings. And a lot of that stems from the building automation or building uh, management system. And like I mentioned before, just aligning with those occupancy schedules. So uh, taking that time to sit down and, and look at that is really, really important as well. Yeah, uh, Elizabeth, this is a, an amazing um, and comprehensive approach to um, not just limiting emissions, um, but as we discussed, it's, and, and John, you said it, it's about comfort, control, cost, and carbon. It's all of these things together, right? It's the human element. It's the financial element. It's the be kind to our earth element. Um, critically important um, to remember that we're, we're not looking at, um, this through a singular lens. So let's talk about looking at it. Let's talk about modeling and dashboards. And I know you create those, Elizabeth. John, I know you have your own dashboards. Um, it's in my mind, I'm asking myself, huh, can I look at the dashboard and say, gosh, things are a little bit out of whack here and I'm not sure why and maybe I do need to have some retro commissioning or does the dashboard tell me why things are out of whack and that's on the more granular level on the bigger picture level as it relates to modeling I really want to be able to go to the C-suite and say to um, the leadership listen we are going to likely be faced with significant requirements in the next five to 10 years. Unless we address those, uh, address our building in some pretty specific ways, um, we're likely to be faced with fines. Now, the bigger companies out there think large financial uh, organizations, think large insurance companies, they're probably pretty good targets. Like a lot of smaller companies may say, it's gonna take a while for them to catch up with me. And that might be true, right? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to save money and do the right thing. Um, for the larger companies though, there should be some immediacy, you know, some heat under the pot on the stove, like we've got to get moving on this or we will be uh, faced with penalties. So is BALA doing anything in terms of, you know, feasibility studies or um, modeling studies to help organizations know which direction they should go down? I mean, should I be pulling triple glazed windows off of the shelf and installing them? Um, should I be preparing to move to electrical equipment instead of my dirty old gas? 
you know, how do you help people figure out which path they should be taking? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that we're working uh, with clients on. Um, we have uh, energy modeling services, so we can provide um, estimates and projections for um, new construction, especially is where energy modeling is uh, works really well. And we also have been providing um, long-term uh, carbon planning as it relates to and uh, in New York City, Local Law 97. Um, Birdo has set our emissions limits for out to 2050, so we can identify where our buildings are going to be um, all the way out to 2050. And so for new construction, especially, we've been doing and looking at different trend lines for um, different design types. So, you know, here's your baseline. Here's your kind of traditional lead silver. Here's your um, all electric. Here's your all electric with steam energy. We've got all of this stuff kind of trend uh, in trend lines and estimations. Um, and then we compare them to the limits and we can see, well, this design could take you out to 2030 before you start seeing fines from Birdo, or this design is out to 2040. And we've been trying to help people under uh, identify a timeline for, you know, when they either want to put in certain systems, when they want to retrofit um, or, you know, is if I can wait till 2040, is that good enough? Because the life of my equipment will be up and by then we'll have more efficient equipment. I can retrofit then. So is 2040 the right timeline for them? Is 2030? And we've been trying to help uh, clients do that. Um, not only does this help them kind of have a broader look at their, their um, assets in, in the long term, but uh, having this uh, planning time or this pre-planning can help with um, securing better financing, incentives, um, and stuff like that. So planning ahead can really save you money um, and puts people in a better position because they know where they're going. They know where they're headed rather than all of a sudden getting to 2025 or 2030 when these limits are, you know, starting to starting and ratcheting down to say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm above the limit. I'm going to have to figure something out tomorrow, you know? So we're trying to help with that long range planning. And we've been working with clients and the BDPA to show, um, you know, different trends and, and where we think they'll be in regards to the Birdo uh, emission standards. Amazing. So if I'm tracking those lines out over time, am I also getting to see as a client um, what invest, what different investment cost scenarios might look like? We certainly have been uh, trying to include uh, cost analysis in that. Uh, BALA ourselves, we don't do a lot of that cost analysis, but we have uh, partners who have you know, looked at incentives for clients, 
um, who are looking at different uh, cost scenarios and that pre-planning. And we certainly have been looking at, well, if we wait a year or wait two years, these are the kinds of fines we may see and try to help bring that to the forefront and so that they have that uh, mindset because carbon uh, is now a distinct line item on our economic bottom lines. And I, as a sustainability engineer, I think that's important, but it's, it's new and it's different and people are, are starting to figure out how they best work with that. All right. So that's fantastic. Uh, John, since if since using less energy using energy more efficiently is in fact reducing the emissions that you put out there how can i see that when i have extensible energy software and do i have to be looking at it all the time or am i getting a report once a week that tells me how uh, how we're tracking, adjusting, and uh, improving against other benchmark data. Like, how do I know it's working? Other than maybe I get a bill that seems less than it did the month before, or maybe that's enough. Yeah. So I, I mean, you raised a great point when you talked about dashboards and. You can, if you want to, engage with your building directly through our dashboard and look at the carbon intensity and the usage intensity and the temperatures in every room. And, um, and in fact, I'm glad Elizabeth brought up retro commissioning because in a lot of cases, that's the key data to figure out what units are performing and what units are not performing in an HVAC system and what schedules make sense and what schedules don't make sense for the way you, you know your building is occupied. So the dashboard's a great way to um, interact with all of those decisions about the building, including the ones related to carbon. We also produce a quarterly report that just shows the scope to um, changes attributable to the savings delivered by our software. So um, you, can, you can go as, as uh, as engaged as you want to with it. Most folks are looking at the quarterly statements and that's it because that's that's the, you know, the reporting requirement that they have. So right. uh, it, but we always have a, you yeah. know, a handful of, of people that right. are engineers and their their minds <laughs> operate in a way where they they're fascinated by this. They they want to see how it works, understand you know, all of the intricacies of it and listen, if it's available. Well, and facilities happen. managers as well, right? Because what's, sure. what's, what's a facility manager except the recipient of a hot cold complaint, right? So the facility manager is, is having to deal with folks who are um, uncomfortable in a particular zone so now let's let's just do a scenario here. We work with some school districts. A school district facility manager might have to cover hundreds of square miles, dozens of campuses, and they're getting a complaint in one zone, in one school, 25 miles away. Well, 
with a traditional building management system, you pretty much have to roll a truck out there, right? You have to go roll a truck, see what the person is actually experiencing, see what the temperatures really are, because data could be right or wrong. You can't access the data all the time from remote locations. So you roll a truck just for diagnostics. That is super expensive. And it could be something as simple as I just bump the temperature down two degrees from here. So that's one solution where it could be you look at the dashboard and you can see that that room used to be tracking just fine against their occupancy temperatures and now isn't. So now, yeah, you're going to roll a truck, but it's one truck roll to actually fix the problem as opposed to one to diagnose it and one to fix it. So the, the facilities folks are engaging with this stuff for, from a managed by exception as much as they are the engineers who are super interested in diagnosing, you know, how their carbon works hour by hour. So, so the ability to see a whole fleet of buildings through a single pane of glass is turning out to be as big a cost saver as some of the energy savings are in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, and while I understand or think I understand that um, truck rolls and or transportation is one of the biggest offenders for carbon. For emissions. sure. For sure. Yep. They're not asking us, they, um, regulatory uh, organizations aren't asking us to measure that yet. Um, and that doesn't mean there isn't a cost to companies for those types of emissions. Yeah, you they're have to throw for gas. They're yep. they're paying um, for their labor. Um, they are they may have to add extra staff because they're deploying people all over the place. And if they can do that more efficiently, it manages many problems at once. So I think that's a pretty significant factor um, in considering the value of the software. That, that's what a lot of our, our customers are telling us is that, the, that sure, it's easy to make a business case around energy and demand savings, right? But it, because you can just say, oh, it's gonna pay for itself. But a lot of the um, sort of hassle factor is more valuable to the folks who operate it every day, because in some cases, these are third-party contractors they're calling to go out to the site to diagnose a problem that they should be able to diagnose with, with no truck rolls at all. Uh, a controls contractor making a visit to a site is a very expensive proposition. If it can be solved with you know, a few mouse clicks instead, that's a big change in how some of the you know, the folks we're talking to operate. Uh, it's less of a big deal in an individual building where the facility manager is already on site, but it's a, it for, for folks like school district, chain account, any of those things, it's a big deal to be able to do this without um, truck rolls. Sure is. It, you know, as somebody that's in the world of construction, I know how frustrating it is to have the technicians arrive on site to diagnose something, right. um, which they often are able to diagnose once they've arrived, 
but have no equipment or tools to fix the challenge. That's a very frustrating thing. Right. It, it, it's a source of frustration for the technician. The technician doesn't want to show up. They, they want to show up and be the hero, not the villain. Right. So if you can give folks better information before they go on site, you give them information about what you're actually seeing in terms of the performance of the equipment, not just a report from an occupant, then you have a much better chance of arriving with the right solution, not just to diagnose the problem. Absolutely. So Elizabeth, FMs are out there listening right now and they're saying to themselves, I wanna start this immediately. I want to be able to see if I can have um, an impact in my department without perhaps having big capital spends, but then I can use this data um, as a success story that I sell to the executive leadership of my organization in support of bigger changes, more change, more efficiency, et cetera. What have you got for us? Well, like I've said, the first place to start is that data and that measurement. Um, once we've got that down, I know every building is unique. So really employing a uh, energy audit or retro commissioning agent is going to be your best bet. Um, but some common things that we see are, you know, definitely looking at those building controls like we've already mentioned. Um, Lighting is a really kind of low hanging fruit item. Most of us have switched to LEDs already, but if we haven't, um, that's a major uh, major change for um, us to be taking. It's an easy one. Um, it's not no cost, I will say, but it's definitely something that provides a return on investment very quickly. Um, we also see the use of, you know, VFDs, variable frequency drives, so we can, um, you know, vary the speed of our equipment um, and stuff like that. Just having the ability to not run on full power all the time okay. um, is, is going to be one way to, to do that as well. Um, and I would I would be remiss to neglect the power of behavioral change and education as well. Um, that needs to be a part of our solution. We've been talking holistic solutions already. So um, education um, and even just simple education on energy efficiency and having the systems in place for either facility managers or um even building occupants and tenants to have that knowledge and then be able to do something about it is really powerful. So instead of um, not giving uh, them a choice to turn off lights, um, either you know provide occupancy sensors that can be a great option, or um, you know if you don't have the ability to do that, even just some basic signage can help uh, to remind people to turn the lights off when they leave a conference room and uh, talk about how that really impacts um, 
them as well as as the larger company. I think that education and the behavioral change not only is helpful at the office or at your site, but can then trickle to other locations too. So that can, you know, if they're learning something at, at the, you know, at work or on site, then they can take it home. And that's when we start to see, you know, broad um, environmental consciousness and, and change. So um, albeit not a direct measurable impact that you can make, um, it's it's critically important and I think um, really influential uh, to have that education component in as, the, in as well. I think that's an excellent point. I mean, we began our discussion um, with the recognition of how these types of changes can positively impact um, the human element in all of this. And, you know, as a builder, again, I understand that, you know, one of the largest complaints um, is associated with comfort uh, of the occupants of the building as it relates to heating and cooling. And so if we can control that a little bit, that removes the distraction from performance, right? Um, I think that's incredibly important um, and you know, impacts the bottom line of these organizations. And then every person out there wants to be able to feel like they can have a little bit of control over um, anything in a world that can often feel out of our control. So um, just educating people, as you said, about ways in which they can make a difference has got to feel good. So I think we can end on that note. I really appreciate this has been very, very informative. Um, I felt like we got to the heart of some things that can um, start some positive change within organizations. So I am grateful to both of you, Elizabeth and John, for being here today and for sharing your expertise with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks very much. Great. All right, so we're out. Great. Um, Tor, if you're still there and wanna be back on camera, you can, how did we do? I think you did great. I think it was a terrific back and forth and uh, a lot of great discoveries for the uh, facility managers um, yeah. from, from both Elizabeth and, and John. I, and, I want to work in buildings that Elizabeth has already been to. <laughs> because, because the software, again, half the time what we discover is, oh, well, yeah, it's going to be hard to keep that room comfortable because that HVAC unit hasn't worked in years. <laughs> Retro commissioning goes, it would be a great co-product with what we're doing <laughs> yeah we well we have a full commissioning team yes. so yes. yeah if you would like to be in contact with them we we'd, certainly we'd love to because as as that's happening is a great time to also look at changes in control right and and i talked to them even this morning i was like okay i've got this podcast what do you want me to say about retro commissioning because right. i know it's important and right. they're like if we can just get some of these controls to be consistent and not overridden every five minutes. Well, and, and like. override is, is not just, you know, so there's overrides and there's overrides and overrides. Okay. If it's something that the customer is doing for, for comfort, 
but it's not okay if it persists for the next hundred years, right? It's a change right. in programming that is really deadly. It's the right. controls hero who comes to the rescue, doesn't tell you what he's doing, changes everything and leaves. And now you've got a building that's working differently than the day you commissioned it the day before, right? And so, oftentimes we see that facility managers, they'll, you know, a, a controls company will come in, you know, put this BAS system in and then they don't educate the facility managers on how to use it. And so often they're like, they have, an, in, they have an incentive not to, they want right. the maintenance I mean, business. They want to come in and be be the heroes. Every time you need to make a significant change, you better right. call me. Right. So that's that's oh, I hate that. I hate and that. I know. And it leaves our facility managers not knowing if they've just messed something up because they want to change something or, you know. And so, yep. yeah, we've gotten a lot of feedback on yep. not knowing. And, and um, when we'll go in with our retro commissioning team, the facility managers are like, I don't even know how to work this thing. I don't know if it's telling me it's good or it's not, or I don't know if it's worked in 10 years or like, why didn't you call us sooner? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Of the extensible platform and that it really is really simple and you you know how to change a temperature and, and, and and it's not targeted at the high end, you know, million square foot buildings either. So there's a, there's a much bigger, problem running those very large, complicated buildings with crazy zone interactions and all the rest. So small to medium, we didn't really get into this, but small to medium is is uh, our sweet spot and it's the most neglected. Holy mackerel, do they need help? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, I thought it was great. And I'll tell you, I was in a, at an event um, last night and there were um, some folks there from Liberty Mutual facilities management. Folks. Oh yeah, and um, and we were talking about the software, um, and they said, "Oh, what is it? How does it how does it work?" And I said, "It'll all be explained in the podcast. Uh, we'll let you listen to it. Hook us um, up in the show notes, and we'll see if we get any. We'll, we'll watch for Liberty Mutual. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Del Pret is who you'll want to um, connect with. Um, but I, I think it's. I'm, I'm hopeful that people will listen to the podcast and say, okay, these are things that we should begin to do right away." Um, because it just makes good financial sense to do it. And Elizabeth, I just, I, I, I love that you're doing the studies and the timelines. Yeah. I know the clients are going to ask, if I go this far with it, how much does that cost me? If I go this far, what's that price point? Mm-hmm. Um, if I add these few systems or you know, change out the windows. We've watched a lot of clients recently replace all the windows in a building. Mm-hmm. So they're going to want to have order of magnitude, you know, pricing and return on investment scenarios or modeling done around that. And even if you have to team with a consultant to be able to provide it for them, I think all of a sudden people are, are going, yep, but, you know, I want a I want you to do the modeling for me and B, I want you to do the work. Mm. I just think you'll I think that will happen because people 
they get really they get really prickly when they don't have an idea about what the financial parameters of these changes are going to be. They're all that's all fine and good, but it's theoretical until we get to the bottom line. Yep. I, I got to jump. My next okay. meeting is, is calling me and telling me I'm late. So you're late. <laughs> get get going. Time is money. Thank you okay. all. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.